from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. From not enough snow and rain to too much. I feel very trapped back here and I just don't know what else to do. California residents dig out as they prepare for another round of storms. A sure thing. We're confident, but uh, we're still making sure we uh, put pressure on them to uh, get this trade agreement done the way it's supposed to be done. What grain industry leaders at Commodity Classic are doing to make sure trade certainty continues with Mexico. The knowns and unknowns as we near planting season. But it's in a much better spot today than it has been in the past. Ag Day coverage from Commodity Classic continues. Ag Day is brought to you by Trivolt. Trivolt is an exciting new premium corn herbicide from Bayer, and it's got some pretty amazing claims. Get consistent weed control for up to eight weeks and a variety of weather conditions. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths here on the floor of the trade show at Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida, with a great turnout this week. At last check, registrations were over 9,000, and crowds are projected to meet pre-pandemic attendance levels. Good crowds and good moods ahead of spring planning, decent commodity prices, and hope for improved weather are creating optimism for 2023. And I go back to some USDA numbers. Uh, we're going to have we're going to have three years of extremely good net farm income, which is really impacting the balance sheets. Balance sheets are in great shape uh, for agriculture in general. Financially, interest rates and the potential impact on operating loans, equipment, and land remains a true unknown. I do expect you know, some hawkish intent uh, further from the Fed from what Ch Chairman Powell said this week. Uh, we could see you know, 25, 50 basis point increase uh, here uh, in March. That's what the market could be expecting here. So I think a lot of it's unknown given the data that's still, be, still coming here later this week, early next. That, as the last couple of years, the biggest question marks were around input availability and supply. Farmers are thinking about what the rotation is going to be. There's still some uncertainty in certain parts of the country as they look at the weather patterns, they look at fertility prices and other input costs. Um, that's definitely top of mind. As the world's largest agribusiness company says, supply chains are better, but not perfect. From a supply perspective, 2023 looks much more favorable than it has in the past. If I think about, first, first and foremost, our seed business, you know, last year there were some supply challenges within seed as well, and we've overcome those. We're in a very good spot this year across all three major crops. And then if I turn my attention to crop protection specifically, whether it's uh, products produced here domestically or abroad, um, we're in a better spot. I would say that we still need 12 to 18 months to probably get back to normal but it's in a much better spot today than it has been in the past. They recommend remaining proactive and planning ahead when possible as growers get ready to roll in 2023. Our very own Michelle Rook joins us once again here at Commodity Classic. And Michelle, we've grown used to these black swan or unknown events the last few years from COVID to Ukraine, even our weather disasters. It's been pretty difficult. Now, one thing that the corn growers are trying to do is find some certainty in trade with Mexico. That's right, Clinton, and I talked to National Corn Growers Association President Tom Haig about that here at Commodity Classic, and we do have some new developments in the ongoing trade dispute between the U.S. and Mexico regarding their proposed ban of GMO corn. Canada has joined the U.S. asking for formal consultations under their USMCA trade accord. That follows a separate request by the U.S. focused on corn earlier this week. Canada is not a major corn exporter and has not shipped any corn to Mexico since August, but is concerned overall about Mexico putting arbitrary prohibitions on agriculture produced using biotechnology. 
Yesterday, Canada even joined in with the statement saying, hey, you're not following the rules of the GMO. So that's it. Now we got two of the countries out of the three saying the same thing. So that's a, that's a very good, important move for us. So uh, we're confident, but uh, we're still making sure we uh, put pressure on them to uh, get this trade agreement done the way it's supposed to be done. They are trying to avoid a trade dispute with their second largest market for corn, but are frustrated. Mexico has backed off their ban on feed corn, but they still want to limit sales of white corn for food consumption. While it only makes up about 5 to 10 percent of total sales, it still does not comply with USMCA and Hague says the administration agrees. We uh, talked with Vilsack, uh, Secretary of Egg Vilsack, and uh, you know he, he agreed that they're not following the rules. So this last week, USTR sent him another statement saying, uh, you know, if you don't follow the rules, the third option will be then is that maybe there's going to have to be a lawsuit if you don't. NCGA leadership is meeting with Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack here at Commodity Classic and Haig tells me they're confident they have the administration's support if they need to take trade action. All right, thanks, Michelle. The American Farm Bureau Federation says it has inked another memorandum of understanding about right to repair, this time with CNH Industrial Brands, Case IH, and New Holland. Now, you'll remember earlier this year, the organization announced it had signed a similar agreement with John Deere. The MOU sets a framework for farmers and independent repair facilities in all 50 states in Puerto Rico to access manuals, tools, product guides, and information to self-diagnose and self-repair machines. But the MOU respects intellectual property rights and the need to ensure safety controls and make sure emission systems are not altered. AFBF President Zippy Duval says their members urge them to find a private sector solution that gives farmers access to repair their own equipment and says months of discussions have again paid off. After three years, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration is officially announcing the La Nina weather phenomenon is gone, with one climate scientist now saying the globe is in what's considered a neutral condition and probably trending to an El Nino in late summer or fall. The La Nina weather phenomenon is blamed for increasing Atlantic hurricanes and worsening the western drought. The chief scientific officer of Climate Alpha says generally American agriculture is more damaged by La Nina than El Nino and he says if the globe jumps into El Nino it means more rain for the Midwestern Corn Belt and for grains in general. Meteorologist Chuck Heaver joins us now and Chuck it certainly has been a wet winter for the West and now it's getting hit with another atmospheric river. Yeah, the West Coast continues to get hit by that atmospheric river. It is going to put a lot more precipitation onto the West Coast. In the Midwest as well, that storm pushes through. And then we have another storm forming in the center part of the country. That's going to bring some rain and thunderstorms down to the Southeast. But for sure, the West Coast is going to continue to get hammered with precipitation and incredible amounts of snow. And crews in California, they are working around the clock to get the roads reopened before this next round of snow. Look at all the effort involved by these folks along 395 north of Lee Vining. They had to get all the snow and debris pushed off the road. This had all fallen during an avalanche. And you can bet they will have a lot more work to do in the days ahead. Okay, coming up, I'll have more on your forecast. As the negotiations continue to try and keep the Black Sea grain deal going past next weekend, new estimates show Ukraine's grain production could fall 37% this year. 
The country's National Academy of Agricultural Science saying the grain harvest could reach 34 million metric tons because of a smaller growing area and lower yield. The Academy also saying a possibly larger area for soybeans could result in a 13% increase in Ukraine's harvest for that crop. Now the scientists cautioning these are only preliminary estimates. Still ahead here from Commodity Classic in Orlando, corn pushed down more on Thursday while some feeder cattle contracts stayed above $200. Michelle Rook will have the latest on those market dynamics coming up and later California needed the moisture, but some folks are sick of the snow. How they're dealing with digging out with more moisture on the way. Corn was lower for the fourth straight session Thursday following weakness in wheat and soy. Despite those strong weekly export sales reported, Michelle, back now with this analysis from here at Commodity Classic. A tough down day on Thursday in the grains. Our Lynn Suderman with Stonex Group is uh, joining us here with analysis from Commodity Classic. And like I said, um, it looks like the fund's all heading for the door at the same time in the grain trade. Yeah, absolutely. And we think actually adding to short positions in wow. wheat, which we don't know how large they are because CFTC is so many weeks behind in releasing data. Um, but uh, uh, building those short positions, there are certainly some fundamental stories out there that could cause them to exit those short positions at some point if they were to happen or become a headline, but that hasn't happened yet. So, so far, the path of least resistance is lower. And if you look at yesterday's crop report, uh, we, it was bullish for soybeans. If you look at some of the private estimates coming out of Argentina since that crop report, they've been even more bullish. But the fact that soybeans have been unable to really uh, sustain any type of strength. When a bullish news fails to sustain a rally, that's a red flag. That's a reason to take note. So the momentum's down. We're trading inflation. We're trading expectations that the Federal Reserve is going to keep pushing interest rates up, sending sin to recession, hurting demand for commodities. That's more true for some commodities than it is for other commodities, obviously but these funds paint with a broad brush. So do soybeans continue to hold the $15 mark in old crop or not? That's real the key. And of course, you're asking me, I've been wrong for two months in soybeans. I didn't think they would be able to sustain a rally above $15. Uh, but the one thing about the funds is when there's a drought in Argentina, they will trade it. Mm -hmm. And they've been trading it. And this one is the most intense on record. Hottest, driest Argentine growing season on record. So they've been trading it for longer. At some point, though, they could either realize, hey, we've already traded this, it's time to move on, or wait a minute, Brazil's got a huge crop, it's not going to affect demand for U.S. soy meal, maybe it's time to take our profits and go elsewhere. Just quick, do we go down much farther in corn and wheat? Wheat's already at contract lows. I, I don't think those uh, support levels on the charts mean much when they're trading momentum. And so the vulnerability is there. Yes, if you're holding on, you have to know there's risk of going lower. Arlen, thanks so much. Always a pleasure to see you. That's Arlen Suderman with Stonex Group, and we'll have more Ag Day coming up. Contact Arlen Suderman by email at arlen.suderman at intlfcstone.com.
Meteorologist Chuck Heaver joins us. And Chuck, several days of wet weather are on the way for portions of the country. All right, let's take a look at the root zone. You can see off to the west, we have definitely moist conditions from all that rain pushing in. Center part of the country is dry, and down to the southeast, we have dry conditions as well. We'll get some storms through there, and that's going to produce a lot more precipitation than the west coast, of course. The jet stream shows a relatively zonal pattern. However, we will have these lobes of cold air pushing through the country, especially out on the west here with this dip in the jet stream, and that trough is going to bring cooler air. But overall, the country should remain relatively where it normally would be for this time of the year. We have precipitation pushing through the upper Midwest. We have precipitation along the coast there, and you can see the rain continues in Southern California and Central California, even into Northern California, north of San Francisco, some thunderstorms down along the Gulf Coast there. Okay, so this storm will form in the center part of the country again, and that'll bring some precipitation through the area, through the Chicagoland area again on Sunday into Monday. Here's a precipitation precipitation forecast in total off to the west coast. Of course, that's where our bigger concern is. We're going to see this along a frontal boundary in those storms. Here's the precipitation estimates on the west coast. Again, we're going to see three to six inches of rain and then up in the mountains, we're going to see in the feet one to four feet of snow. Not out of the question. There's the snow associated with the two storms that will push through on Friday and then again on Sunday. Here are the temperatures for tomorrow in the afternoon. We've got 44 for today and for tonight, we're going to see cooler temperatures slip all the way down to the Gulf Coast, 48 in Atlanta. And then tomorrow, we're going to see temperatures 38 in Chicago, much warmer down in Texas. Or we'll see temperatures in the upper 80s. All right, let's take a look closer to home over in Bradford, Rhode Island. Increasing clouds, 43 for the high, 33 for the low. Mantador, North Dakota, cloudy, a high 28 and 21. And there you go, Homestead Meadows, Texas. 80 and 52 with sunshine. All right, thanks, Chuck. And we have more on all that snow out west as new rounds of snow and rain threaten to make conditions even more treacherous next. Get in the game and be part of the 2023 Bracket Busters Challenge presented by Case IH. It's farmer versus farmer for a chance to win the $1,000 top prize. Go to agweb.com to fill out your bracket once teams are selected on Sunday, March 12th. As our weather team has been telling you, heavy amounts of rain are predicted to fall in California over the next few days, and that includes the areas that have already been hit by colossal amounts of snow. Emily Schmidt has more on the push to get people ready for this next round of winter. So you can just see the immense amount of snow here. For Californians who have watched several back-to-back -back rounds of heavy snow. Look at the size of this berm. This is... Oh. 15, 6, 17 feet high. Problems are accumulating along with precipitation. I feel very trapped back here and I just don't know what else to do. Jeff Pena says he's been snowbound for two weeks with health problems, which he says make navigating the snow all too difficult. Like many in the area, he says he's starting to run out of the basics. Even those who can get out find supplies limited just as another storm system rolls in. I got my generator and I got my gas and uh, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty well prepared for it. These maps tell the story. Look at how much of the state is under winter weather alerts. Then look at how much of the same area is also under flooding alerts. About 16 million people across central and northern California in the path of an ominous sounding atmospheric river event. 
Rain on top of snow, making navigating out of an already tight situation possibly even more treacherous. The one-two weather punch could begin late Thursday and last through the weekend. Some parts of the Sierra Nevada mountain range could get one to six feet of additional snow, adding to an already heavy winter weather burden. I'm Emily Schmidt reporting. Some people in California have been trapped in their homes for weeks. So how do you prepare for something like that? Ahead of severe weather season, extension officers in Tennessee are helping people stock up some things to consider next in the country. Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Steel Closing Wheels, perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Spring means the arrival of more sunny days, but storms and tornadoes are also an issue. At the University of Tennessee Extension, agents in family and consumer sciences work to help people prepare for that severe weather. Charles Denny has more on the program, Prep Steps. Early spring in West Tennessee includes blustery, windy days. But the people here know to brace for even more severe weather. This area has become a bit of a tornado alley. Madison County has 30 certified twisters the past half century, including this devastating 2008 storm. I know when my parents lost their home to the tornado, I mean, they were shell-shocked for a few days, you know, so it's, I was like, okay, have you done this and this and this? Oh, yes, I need to do those things. Sarah Poole's family has been impacted by an emergency. She's teamed with fellow UT Extension agent Tennille Short to develop prep steps ready for the unexpected, along with agents in eight other counties. Prep Steps is a social media campaign of online videos and information on emergency preparedness. Topics include first aid, designing a family emergency plan, disaster finances, and food safety and power outages. Sure, so with Prep Steps, we hit it from several different angles. We talk about food and nutrition, ways to be ready to have enough food on hand. We also talk about having conversations with your family. Um, if an emergency happens, what if your house catches on fire? Um, how are you gonna get out? How, um, where are you gonna meet? This program goes beyond storm prep. It also looks at what financial steps you should take and knowing where key documents are located in case of an emergency. A plan is important and a plan gives us some stability. Most of us just hit a button when we call someone, but what if your phone is damaged? Tennille Short recommends you write down and memorize key numbers. Also, a sturdy and indestructible safe might be a good investment where important papers can't burn up or get wet. They're all the important documents that are hard to replace. Your insurance papers, uh, your family's personal documents like birth certificates and social security cards, all those things that you're going to need possibly if you have to at some point apply for aid or if you need to move forward in the insurance process. When disaster hits, emotions are understandably shaken, but having a plan ready can ease some of that burden and perhaps get you closer to normal again 
if your life has been interrupted. This is Charles Denny reporting. All right, thanks Charles. Now we'll have more on Monday from Commodity Classic. Thanks for watching and from all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.